Book One, Chapter One of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. Book One. Concerning the perfection with which the Most Holy Mary copied and imitated the activity of the soul of Christ, how the incarnate word instructed her in the laws of grace, the articles of faith, the sacraments, the Ten Commandments, and with what alacrity and noble promptitude she corresponded. Also concerning the death of St. Joseph, the preaching of St. John, the fasting and baptism of our Redeemer, the call of the first disciples, and the baptism of the Virgin Mary, our Blessed Lady. Chapter 1. The Lord still farther tries the Most Holy Mary by acting toward her with a certain distance and severity. The reasons for this behavior are explained. Already Jesus, Mary, and Joseph had settled in Nazareth, and thus changed their poor and humble dwelling into a heaven. In order to describe the mysteries and sacraments which passed between the divine child and his purest mother before his twelfth year and later on, until his public preaching, many chapters and many books would be required. And in them all, I would be able to relate but the smallest part in view of the vastness of the subject and the insignificance of such an ignorant woman as I am. Even with the light given me by this great lady, I can speak of only a few incidents, and must leave the greater part unsaid. It is not possible or befitting to us mortals to comprehend all these mysteries in this life, since they are reserved for the future life. Shortly after their return from Egypt to Nazareth, the Lord resolved to try his most holy mother in the same manner as he had tried her in her childhood, and as was mentioned in the second book of the first part, chapter 27. Although she was now vastly grown in the exercise of her love and wisdom, yet as the power of God and the object of divine charity is infinite, and as moreover the capacity of the queen exceeded that of all creatures, the Lord wished to raise her to a higher level of holiness and merit. Moreover, being a true educator of the spirit, he wished to form of her a disciple of such exalted knowledge that she would truly be for us a consummate teacher and a living example of his own doctrines. For such was to be her office after the ascension of her son and redeemer, as I will relate in the third part. It was also befitting and necessary for the honor of Christ, our Redeemer, that the teaching of the gospel, by which and on which he was to found the law of grace, holy, immaculate, and without a wrinkle, should give full evidence of its efficacy and power in a mere creature, and that all its adequate and supereminent effects should be exhibited in someone who could be a standard for all men. It is clear that this creature could be none else than the most blessed Mary, who, as his mother, stood so close to the master and teacher of all holiness. The Most High therefore resolved that the heavenly lady should be the first disciple of his school and the firstborn daughter of the new law of grace, the most perfect copy of his ideals and the most pliant material, upon which, as on liquid wax, should be set the seal of his doctrine of holiness, so that the son and the mother might be the two true tablets of the new law of the world. Exodus chapter 31 verse 18. For this purpose of the infinite wisdom, he manifested to her all the mysteries of the evangelical law and of his doctrine, and this was the subject of his instructions 
from the time of their return from Egypt until his public preaching, as we shall see in the course of this history. In these hidden sacraments, the incarnate word and his holy mother occupied themselves during the twenty-three years of their stay in Nazareth, as all this concerned the heavenly mother alone, whose life the holy evangelist did not profess to narrate. The writers of the gospel made no mention of it, excepting that which was related of the child Jesus, when in his twelfth year he was lost in Jerusalem. During all those years, Mary alone was the disciple of Christ. In addition, therefore, to the ineffable gifts of grace and holiness, which he had conferred upon her until their arrival in Nazareth, he infused into her new light, and made her a participant in his divine knowledge, depositing and engraving into her heart the whole law and doctrine of grace, which to the end of the world was to be dispensed by his holy church. This was, moreover, effected in such an exalted manner, that no human thought or words can express it, and the great lady was thereby filled with such wisdom and knowledge, that it would suffice to enlighten many worlds, if there were more than one. In order to rear in the heart of the purest virgin this edifice of holiness, to a height beyond all that is not God, the Lord laid its foundations accordingly, trying the strength of her love and all of her other virtues. For this purpose, the Lord withdrew himself, causing her to lose him from her sight, which until then had caused her to revel in continual joy and delight. I do not wish to say that the Lord left her bodily, but, still remaining with her and in her, by an ineffable presence and grace, he hid himself from her interior sight, and suspended the tokens of his most sweet affection. The heavenly lady in the meanwhile knew not the inward cause of this behavior, as the Lord gave her no explanation. Moreover, her divine son, without any forewarning, showed himself very reserved and withdrew from her society. Many times he retired and spoke but few words to her, and even these, with great earnestness and majesty. But what was apt to afflict her most was the eclipse of the light by which she was wont to see reflected, as in a crystal, the human operations of his most pure soul. This light was suddenly dimmed so much, that she could not thenceforth distinguish them as a living copy for her own actions. This unannounced and unexpected change was the crucible in which the purest gold of the love of our queen was cleansed and assayed. Surprised at what was happening, she immediately took refuge in the humble opinion she had of herself, deeming herself unworthy of the vision of the Lord, who now had hidden himself. She attributed it all to her want of correspondence and to her ingratitude for the blessings she had obtained from the most generous and exalted father of mercies. The most prudent queen did not feel so much the privation of his delightful caresses, as the dread of having displeased him, and of having fallen short in his service. This was the arrow that pierced her heart with grief. One filled with such true and noble love could not feel less, for all delight of love is founded in the pleasure and satisfaction given by the lover to the one beloved, and therefore he cannot rest when he suspects that the beloved is not contented or pleased. The loving sighs of his mother were highly pleasing to her most holy son. He was enamored with her anew, and the tender affection of his only and chosen one wounded his heart. Canticles, chapter 4, verse 9. But whenever the sweet mother sought him out, in order to hold converse with him, he continued to show exterior reserve. 
just as the flame of a forge or a conflagration is intensified by the application of insufficient water so the flame of love in the heart of the sweetest mother was fanned to an intenser blaze by its adversity the single-hearted dove exercised herself in heroic acts of all the virtues she humbled herself below the dust she reverenced her son in deepest adoration she blessed the father thanking him for his admirable works and blessings and conforming herself to his wishes and pleasure she sought to know his will in order to fulfil it in all things she unceasingly renewed her acts of faith hope and burning love and in all her actions and in all circumstances this most fragrant spikenard gave forth the odour of sweetness for him the king of kings who rested in her heart as in her flowery and perfumed couch canticles chapter one verse eleven she persevered in her tearful prayers with continual sighing and longing from her inmost heart she poured forth her prayers in the presence of the lord and recounted her tribulation before the throne of god psalm 141 verse 3 and many times she broke out in words of ineffable sweetness and loving sorrow such as these creator of all the universe she would say eternal and almighty god infinite is thy wisdom and goodness incomprehensible in essence and perfection well do i know that my sighs are not hidden to thee and that thou knowest of the wound that pierces my heart if as a useless handmaid i have fallen short in thy service and in pleasing thee why o life of my soul dost thou not afflict me and chastise me with all the pains and sufferings of this my mortal life so that i may not be obliged to endure the turning away of thy eyes though i have deserved this treatment through my default all punishments would be less than this for my heart cannot bear thy displeasure thou alone o lord art my life my happiness my glory and my treasure my soul counts for nothing all that thou hast created and their image lives not in my soul except in order to magnify thy greatness and to acknowledge thee as creator and lord of all what shall i then do if thou my blessed lord the light of my eyes the goal of my desires the north star of my pilgrimage the life of my being and the essence of my life fail me who will give fountains to my eyes to bewail my want of correspondence to all the blessings i have received and my ingratitude for my benefits my lord my light my guide and teacher on the way who by thy most exalted and perfect operations directest my fragile and lukewarm undertakings how can i regulate my life if thou fail me as my model who will guide me securely through this desert what shall i do and whither shall i turn if thou deprivest me of thy assistance nor did this wounded deer rest satisfied therewith but thirsting after the purest fountains of grace she addressed herself also to the holy angels and held long conferences and colloquies with them saying sovereign princes and intimate friends of the highest king my guardians by your felicitous vision of his divine countenance matthew chapter eighteen verse ten and the ineffable light first letter to saint timothy chapter six verse sixteen i conjure you to tell me the cause of his displeasure if such he has conceived against me intercede for me in his real presence that through your prayers he may pardon me if i have offended him remind him my friends that i am but dust job chapter ten verse nine although i am formed by his hands and have upon me the seal of his image 
beseech him not to forget his needy one to the end so that she may confess and magnify his name psalm seventy three verse nineteen ask him to give back to me the breath of life which fails me at the dread of having lost his love tell me how and by what means i can please him and regain the joy of his countenance the holy angels answered our queen and sovereign dilated is thy heart so that thou canst not be vanquished by tribulation and none is so able as thou to understand how near the lord is to the afflicted who call upon him psalm forty verse fifteen without doubt he recognizes thy affection and does not despise thy loving sighs psalm thirty seven verse ten even shalt thou find him a kind father and his only begotten a most affectionate son looking upon thy afflictions the lovelorn mother replied will it perhaps be presumption to appear before him and prostrate myself before him asking his pardon for any fault he might find in me what shall i do what relief can i find in my anxieties the holy princes answered a humble heart does not displease our king upon it he fixes his loving regard and he is never displeased by the clamors of those who act in love these colloquies and answers of the holy angels somewhat gladdened and consoled their queen and mistress since they confirmed her in her own interior conviction that these sweet sighs would excite the special love and delight of the most high they would not speak more openly because the lord on his own account wished to prolong these delights proverbs chapter eight verse thirty one although her most holy son on account of his natural love toward his mother a mother only not having any father was often deeply touched with compassion at seeing her so afflicted yet he would not show any signs thereof hiding his compassion under a severe countenance sometimes when the most loving mother called him to meals he would delay at other times he would partake of them without looking at her or speaking to her but although the great lady at such times shed many tears and lovingly sighed in her heart she always put upon herself such restraint and weighed all her actions so wisely that if it were possible for god to give way to wonder which certainly he cannot he would have yielded to such a feeling in the presence of such plenitude of holiness and perfection in this mere creature in as far as he was man the child jesus delighted especially in seeing his divine love and grace bring forth such abundant fruits in his virgin mother the holy angels sang to him new hymns of praise for this admirable and unheard of prodigy of virtues upon the request of the loving mother saint joseph had made a couch which she covered with a single blanket and upon which the child jesus rested and took his sleep for from the time in which he had left the cradle when they were yet in egypt he would not accept any other bed or of more covering although he did not stretch himself out on this couch nor even always made use of it he sometimes reclined in a sitting posture upon it resting upon a poor pillow made of wool by the same lady when she spoke of preparing for him a better resting place her most holy son answered that the only couch upon which he was to be stretched out was that of his cross in order to teach men by his example first letter of st peter chapter two verse twenty one that no one can enter eternal rest by things beloved of babylon and that to suffer is our true relief in mortal life thenceforward the heavenly lady imitated him in this manner of taking rest with new earnestness and attention 
when at night the time for repose had come the mistress of humility had been accustomed to prostrate herself before her son as he reclined on his couch asking his pardon for not having fulfilled all her duty in serving him and for not having been sufficiently grateful for the blessings of the day she poured out her thanks anew and with many tears acknowledged him as true god and redeemer of the world she would not rise from the ground until her son commanded her and gave her his blessing this same behavior she observed also in the morning requesting her divine teacher and master to impose upon her all that she was to do during the day in his service which jesus did with tokens of great love but now he changed his bearing and manner toward her when the most innocent mother approached to reverence and adore him as she was wont although her tears and sighs issued more abundantly from her inmost heart he would not answer her a word but listened to her unmoved commanding her to betake herself away to see her son the true god and man so indifferent in his behavior and so distant in his action so sparing of words and in all his exterior bearing so changed ineffably affected the purest and dove-like heart of the loving mother the heavenly lady examined her interior searched all the conditions circumstances and sequence of her actions and racked her memory in her inquiry into the celestial workings of her soul and faculties although she could find no shadow of darkness where all was light holiness purity and grace yet since she knew as job says that neither the heavens nor the stars are pure in the eyes of god job chapter fifteen verse fifteen and since he finds fault in even the angelic spirits job chapter twenty five verse five the great queen feared lest she should have overlooked some defect which was known to the lord in this anxiety she though filled with supreme wisdom suffered agonies of love for her love being strong as death canticles chapter eight verse six caused in her an emulation enkindled by an unquenchable fire of suffering and tribulation this trial of our queen lasted many days during which her most holy son looked upon her with incomparable pleasure by which he raised her to the position of a teacher of all the creatures he rewarded her loyalty and exquisite love with abundant graces in addition to those which she already possessed then happened what i shall relate in the following chapter instruction vouchsafed by mary the most holy queen of heaven my daughter i see that thou art desirous of being a disciple of my most holy son since now thou hast understood and described my behavior in this regard for thy consolation take notice that he has exercised this office of teacher not only once and not only at the time when he taught his holy doctrine while yet in mortal flesh as is related in the gospels matthew chapter twenty eight verse twenty but that he continues to be the teacher of souls to the end of the world he admonishes instructs and inspires them urging them to put in practice whatever is most perfect and most holy thus he acts towards all without exception although according to his divine ordainment and according to the disposition and attentiveness of each soul every one receives more or less of the benefits matthew chapter eleven verse five if thou hadst always applied this truth thou wouldst have known by abundant experience that the lord does not refuse to act as the teacher of the poor of the despised and of the sinners if they wish to listen to his secret doctrines 
as thou now desirest to know what disposition he requires of thee in order to have him teach thee to thy heart's content i shall in his name inform thee of it i assure thee that if he shall find thee well disposed he will as a true and wise teacher communicate to thee the plentitude of his wisdom and enlightenment first of all thou must keep thy conscience pure undefiled serene and quiet keeping a constant watch against falling into any sin or imperfection throughout all the events of this life at the same time thou must withdraw thyself and disentangle thyself from all that is earthly so much so that as i have already formerly admonished thee thou do not retain any image or memory of human or visible things but maintain the utmost sincerity purity and serenity of heart when thou thus hast cleared thy interior from the images and shadows of earthly things then thou wilt pay attention to the voice of thy god like a beloved daughter forgetting the voice of babylon the house of her father adam and all the aftertastes of sin i assure thee that he will speak to thee words of eternal life john chapter six verse sixty nine it will be thy duty to listen to him with reverence and humble gratitude to appreciate his teachings and to follow them in practice with all diligence and punctuality nothing can be hid from this great master and teacher letter to the hebrews chapter four verse thirteen and he withdraws in disgust from those who are ungrateful and disobedient no one must think that these withdrawals of the most high always happened in the same way as they happened to me for the lord withdrew from me not on account of any fault of mine but out of exceeding love he is accustomed to withdraw from other creatures in order to visit them with merited punishment for their many sins outrages ingratitudes and negligences therefore my daughter engaging thy reverence and esteem for the teaching and enlightenment of thy divine master and for my own exhortations thou must take into account thy omissions and faults moderate thy inordinate fears and do not any more doubt that it is the lord who speaks to thee and teaches thee since his doctrine of itself gives testimony of its own truth and assures thee that god is its author for thou seest that it is holy pure perfect and without error it inculcates whatever is best and reprehends thy least fault and it is moreover approved by thy instructors and spiritual directors as i am thy teacher i wish that thou also in imitation of me come every morning and night humbly and sorrowfully to confess thy faults in order that i may intercede for thee and as thy mother obtain for thee the pardon of the lord as soon as thou committest any imperfection acknowledge it without delay and ask the lord pardon promising to amend if thou attend to these things which i here tell thee thou wilt be a disciple of the most high and of me as thou desirest to be purity of soul and the divine grace is the most exquisite and adequate preparation for partaking of the influences of divine light and science and the redeemer of the world communicates it to his true disciples end of chapter one